0: Amen. Amen. Guys, you're invited and encouraged and asked. Please come. If you're a part of the church, a member of the church, please come. I want you to come and we're going to have some fun. We're going to have a good time. We're going to uh, have a cornhole competition like Adam said. We're going to have boards set up and have darts and um, just you of hang out. We'll have some fire pits, bring something warm. It's going to be a little cool outside. so bring a chair with you, just come be a part. I'm gonna share with you something that God's laid on my heart as a vision for us and what it is that God wants as men for us to do. And if you wanna hear that, you gotta come. And so please be a part of the celebration tonight as we just come together and enjoy the time together as men. We we need to have that. And and I wanna challenge you to, um, again, this may be like, Maybe I shouldn't say this, but I want to challenge you to make a friend and talk to somebody. I know, all, all the guys were like, oh, I'm not going. I'm a, I'm a. No, come be a part. Come have a cheeseburger. That's right. Come have some time together. And uh, again, I, I, I guarantee you, you'll enjoy it. We are going to start into, we're going to dive right into Luke chapter 2. Start looking at verses 22 through 40. You can open your Bible if you have it. This is, and I'm going to take the next few weeks to dive into this. I'm going to give you today a brief overview. We're going to go through this. I'm going to give you a brief through, and then we'll dive deeper into some of the principles and some of the things that are being taught that Luke is sharing with us. But this is, and and again, this is a, a much bigger section of Scripture than what we sometimes give credit to this as being. This is that point in Scripture where, again, I just want you to think about this where the Lord Jesus Christ the first time ever is coming to the temple on earth. Jesus in the flesh is coming to the physical house of God for the first time. This is a big deal. God's coming to his house for the first time. And we're gonna look at this. And so I'm gonna ask God to open up our eyes that we could see and hear what God has to say. Will you pray with me? Lord... In the name of Jesus Christ, we come to you even now, Lord, to pray your blessing, to pray your provision, and to pray that you open our eyes to see our ears, to hear what you are saying to your church. God, we ask that you would move through these scriptures to share with us, Lord, what you're doing and what you desire to do. Lord, God, help us. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that you bring conviction to the heart of those who are, who are walking in sin. I pray, Lord, that you bring, Father, repentance to those, Lord, who are in a place of sorrow I pray that you bring healing to those who are in a place of sickness I pray that you bring today deliverance to those who are bound up in addiction I pray that Lord through your word you would do what only you can to minister to each and every one in each and every heart and in each and every life let us leave this place changed and transformed Lord and I thank you for not being limited to my own weaknesses but God that through me Lord I could just be simply a conduit through which you speak to your church today. Lord, help us today. Help us today in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. So we are here in Luke chapter 2. And, and, and in Luke chapter 2, what's happening is that Mary and Joseph are, are bringing Jesus as a baby To the temple, he's been circumcised. So now that happened in in the eighth day, and then Jesus was, as according to the word, was brought to the temple. Here he is. He's probably somewhere right around six weeks old. I, I don't know for sure, but that's traditionally when this would be done. And what's happening is Mary and Joseph are bringing Jesus to be dedicated at the temple. Now, again, this is no small deal this couple think about it this couple would have most likely what they would have done is they would have started off down the hill and they would have then ascended up to jerusalem and from there they would have ascended up to the temple and along the way what there was was they would have ceremonial washing stations or cleansing stations that would be along the way so that those who were bringing their sacrifices to the temple as they ascended up would be able to stop and go through ceremonial cleansing go through ceremonial washing and 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 can you imagine this though that here mary and joseph are carrying jesus they're carrying god in the flesh and they're stopping at ceremonial cleansing stations to wash to be cleansed it really simply is a reflection of the atoning work that this baby that she held in her hands would do through the sacrifice that he made at the cross of Calvary, that he would accomplish what it was forever that they were doing for a moment. And he would cleanse us, and he would cleanse them from all unrighteousness and wash away each and every one of our sins. Praise God. And they're carrying the one who would fulfill the temporary cleansing that they stopped and experienced at these stations. And and because they desired this atoning sacrifice, because they desired to bring the sacrifice, to bring the penalty for sin, they desired to be cleansed, they would wear all white. And so as they ascended up to the temple steps, they would ascend, as as they ascended up through Jerusalem, ascended to the temple, And if you talk to any Jewish person or a Messianic Jew, you know what they would say is they don't talk about, they don't say that we're going to the temple or going to Jerusalem. They say, we are ascending to Jerusalem, the city on a hill. We're ascending to Jerusalem. And just as they ascended to Jerusalem, they would ascend to the temple, rising up, signifying that they were on a pilgrimage to the presence of God. And this is what they were doing. They were pilgriming. They were, they were coming to the very presence of God. And as they physically climbed those steps, and again, imagine this: physically going up those steps, they would spiritually be expecting that their soul would begin to rise in anticipation, in expectation, a place of encouragement and thanksgiving would begin to come forth unto God. And there was as they approached the very presence of God, they would begin to sing. They would begin to pray, they would begin to call out in thanksgiving the Psalms. Psalms 120 through 134. As they went up, they would begin to cry out in the Psalms of the Psalms of Ascent. That's what they're called. These are the Psalms that they would pray, the Psalms that they would sing, the Psalms that they would give forth in adoration unto God as they expected and anticipated this place where they would come to the very closeness of the presence of God and their hearts would become Gladder and gladder as one may, as they progress towards the very presence of God in the temple. And this is what Joseph and Mary were doing. But this was no ordinary day. Because this mother and father weren't just bringing their firstborn son, they were bringing God to his house, to the temple. This was a big day, and so look at what it says in verse twenty-two. And when the time, and, and when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him, and again that's Jesus. They brought Jesus up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Now, again, that sounds okay, no big deal. It was a big deal. They lived in Nazareth. This poor couple lived in Nazareth, Jerusalem, where they were called to bring him for this dedication was 140 miles. They didn't have a car. This was 140 miles. It would have taken them roughly if you just average walking speed, you know, with a 6-week-old baby, it would have taken them a week. Can you imagine a week to walk to church? Man, this was a serious, devoted family. And my thought was this: Man, if that was me, could God depend on me to do that? Could God depend on me to make that kind of sacrifice simply in order to fulfill His word, to be obedient to His word? Could He depend on you? Now, again, I'm just gonna say this trying to be funny, not trying to be condemning, but I wonder what the church attendance would look like if each and every one of us had to walk to church today. (laughs) I think both of you that lived right around the corner would be watching me on the screen because I'd be doing it from my house. This is a couple that was committed. This was a couple that loved God. But these are simple people. They're basically, they're peasants. They're peasants who were fully, completely, and totally devoted to Yahweh. They were fully and completely devoted to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were fully and completely, listen, they were fully and completely dedicated to the God of Scripture. And so... When their son is born, what do they do? They take the Lord Jesus Christ and they do according to the customs of the law of the Old Testament. And they bring him to the temple to be dedicated. Why? Because God told them to do it. And it says this, it says in 20, verse 23, it says, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. So again, that's a quote out of Exodus chapter 13. So I want you to see that he, God is already working back in Exodus chapter 13. He's already working at what's going on here. And, this, and, and what it was was that every firstborn, was, every, especially every firstborn male, was to be given as an offering unto the Lord, except for a donkey. A male donkey could be redeemed by sacrificing a lamb instead. Praise God for the donkey. And every firstborn male was to be redeemed of of people. Every little boy, the Bible says, was to be redeemed. God was already at work back in that time to say that this baby Jesus, the Redeemer, would be redeemed, that there would be a, a sacrifice that was made, and that in that time, in Exodus, or in Exodus chapter 13, he was already declaring that the firstborn would be holy. And when Jesus came, the first thing that happened was he was declared holy. Holy is our God. God was orchestrating history from the past and orchestrating exactly what was gonna happen. Because this was, again, Jesus was Mary's firstborn. The firstborn, the firstborn to Mary, the firstborn of a virgin. Therefore, he was holy. He was called holy. And in verse 24, it says this, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. So they were coming to the, uh, the, the temple and they were coming to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the, the law of the Lord. According to what was said in the law of the Lord. According to what was said in the law of the Lord. In the entire Gospel of Luke, if you read through the, the Gospel of Luke, you will find this phrase mentioned five different times about this couple. It says here in, in Luke, they, were, they, they did according to what is said in the law of the Lord. And so it was said in the law of God. What was said in the law, they did that. This is, again, Luke, who is this articulate man, this very well educated man, this man who had finances, this man who had knowledge. He wasn't a Jew, he was a Greek and he was doing the study, and he had talked to all these different people, probably spent time with this little couple, Mary and Joseph, who was older at that point, but then he spent time talking to them, talking to people that saw what was going on, people that were there, people that heard about it, and he got all of these people to describe what was happening, describe this couple, and describe the circumstances that were going around, or what happened in regards to Jesus, and the description that this man had of this little couple here, They did according to what is said of the law of God. That's Luke's description of them. And again, the the conviction of the Lord. What would be God's description of me if he was to see my actions? What would God's description of you be if he was gonna describe you by your actions? You see, God saw their actions, and you know how God described them? That they did according to what is said in the law of God. This couple. Was devoted. What Luke is doing is he's sharing with you and I the devoted nature of Mary and Joseph. And I want you to remember that this was not some elderly couple. This was a young couple. Mary was, when she was told that she was going to be the virgin that would give birth to the Christ, the Messiah, she was 13, 14, 15 years old in there. She was likely, most likely, illiterate. She was from this tiny little town of Nazareth. She was far removed from the temple and the big city and all the pomp and service circumstance and all the religious activities and all of the things that were overwhelming this was just a little city girl and here she is coming into the big city you know how overwhelming that must have been for her just a simple little country girl you know for some of us you know what we 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 find it to be a big deal when we just get to leave toila and go into salt lake city i'm in the big town now Here we got this girl who's from a town of 100 people or so, 50 people. Nazareth was a little tiny town. And now she finds herself in this town of Jerusalem that's well over 100,000 people. And, and, and here she's, I'm sure, feeling overwhelmed with the crowds and the things that were going on and all of the activity and all of the people. I'm sure it was very, very unsettling to her. Sorry, I've got to pick up after myself. And so she was overwhelmed with all of the things going on. This simple little girl, this young country girl, this peasant girl who's now entering into the city and she's just given birth as a virgin to God in the flesh. And now she's carrying him in her arms, carrying the baby Jesus headed ascending up to Jerusalem and then ascending unto the temple. Do you know why she was doing all of that? He just told us. She was doing all of that in obedience to the scripture. Now I want you to think about this. She's carrying Jesus, who John says is the word. Mary is coming to the temple with Jesus in obedience to the Word. Even as a baby, she's obeying the Word. As she held the Word in her hands, He was already commanding her as to what to do for the fulfillment of prophecy the fulfillment of the father's will and the fulfillment of the purpose that this baby had come he was already even as a baby speaking to her and she was responding to him because of her love for God and her love for the word oh she didn't know all that at that point I'm sure or didn't put all that together at that time I'm sure but we know it in hindsight don't we And so here she is, she's carrying God in the flesh. And and she's doing, listen, as Luke described, she's doing this according to the law of the Lord. And he says it five times. He articulates this emphatically, wanting it to be very clear, wanting to teach us this, that Mary and Joseph loved God with all their heart. In church, when a mom and a dad love God with all their heart, they have the same hope, the same expectation, the same kind of anticipation that their children will grow up and love the Lord God and that they would serve him and that they would worship him and that they would honor him with their life. And because as Christian parents, that's what we desire, when that baby is in the womb, we know it's a life. We know that that's a life with a purpose and a plan. And so what do we do? We begin to pray God's blessing over that baby in the womb. We begin to pray God's purpose over that baby in the womb. We begin to pray, God, have your way in this little life. And when this little life is born, what do we do? We go through what the word of God says, and we bring the baby to be dedicated. Now, Again, don't everybody, this is again where we often, this is where we get part of our baby dedication ceremony that we do. Don't run off and start calling the church and making dedications for all the babies you haven't dedicated yet. And and I'm gonna tell you this, and this may offend some of you, but I'm just gonna give you a little pastor reality here. A baby dedication is when we dedicate this baby to the Lord. A baby dedication, even here, is not about the baby. It's about the parents. And it's about them saying, we dedicate this baby to the Lord, and therefore we are saying that we're going to raise this baby up, that we're going to serve God as we serve this baby, that we're going to show and reflect God to this little baby, and that we're going to dedicate this baby. But when we do baby dedications... Everybody comes for the ceremony. But I have to change the order of service when we have a baby dedication because half or three-quarter of the family that comes for the ceremony gets up and leaves before I preach. How is that a dedication to the Lord if a family can't even stay and listen to the message? How are they ever gonna be able to be a part of the reality of what a baby dedication means? So again, I'm sorry if that offends you, but I'm not sorry if that offends you because it's the truth. It is. I, you know what? Whether you like it or not, I have to deal with that. And that's the reality. Jesus was brought, and this baby is dedicated. She brings this child, the Lord Jesus Christ, to be dedicated. And listen to what she brings to do this. This is what they bring. It's in verse 24. They bring a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons were offered. Now, if you read in Leviticus chapter 12, you find that that was not the offering that was meant for a firstborn baby. A firstborn male child, the Leviticus de- uh, 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 sacrifice that was to be made was a lamb. But because Moses and, and God revealed to Moses that not everybody was gonna be able to afford a lamb for this, so there was a a. a, a consolation so to speak that was given and there was a permitted sacrifice that would be given an exception clause for the poor and this exception clause said that okay two turtle doves or two doves two birds could be offered as a sacrifice if a family cannot afford to present a lamb and the two pigeons instead of the lamb it was called this it was called the offering of the poor the offering of the poor Isn't it crazy that Jesus, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the God whose streets will be filled with gold, was dedicated on earth with the offering of the poor? I mean, he came into this world; his parents couldn't even afford a a proper sacrifice. So they had to make what was an exception and offer this offering of the poor. Jesus, and again, it's just for you and for me, this is good news because we see that Jesus was born into this world through ordinary parents. Ordinary parents were raising him. They were the ones that were ministering to him. But it still blows my mind that the offering that was given for the Messiah, the Savior, the Lamb of God, wasn't even a lamb. Was the offering of the poor. You know, Luke, in Luke's gospel, Luke talks more about the poor than any of the other gospels. Luke talks about the poor repeatedly. Luke shows us even here that Jesus was poor. He was born into a poor family, he was raised by a poor family, and Jesus was poor. In fact, Jesus had a heart for the poor, Jesus loved the poor, and you know what? The poor loved Jesus. They love Jesus because Jesus, even though Jesus was poor, On this in this earth, he knew that he had heavenly riches. And through those heavenly riches, Jesus, even though poor in this earth, was able to feed the poor while he was here. He cared for the poor. He loved the poor. He encouraged the poor. He told the poor about the promises of God's generosity. He told the poor about this kingdom that is to come. A kingdom that is filled with every provision that you could ever want, need, or expect. He was telling them all about that because Jesus loved the poor and his mom and dad that's who they were they were poor they were, just think about it they were totally and completely devoted to God totally and completely devoted to the scriptures totally and completely devoted in all that they were they couldn't even afford a typical sacrifice so again I want you to think about this you need to stop when you're reading your word you need to stop and think about things what does this mean What is this saying to me? What is this saying to you? You need to think about what the word is telling you. Because what God is saying is that it's not ultimately, it's not about the size of the gift. It's all about the heart of the worshiper. It's all about the heart of the giver, like Adam was saying. It's all about the degree of sacrifice, not the size of the gift. And the degree of sacrifice will determine, in God's sight, whether something is appropriate in his sight or not. Church, this couple is poor. And they can't even afford a righteous sacrifice. So Jesus was dedicated with a sacrifice that was an offering of the poor. And again, in the coming weeks, we're gonna talk a lot more about that because that has great, great implications to you and me. Very, very important for us. And so they they come into the temple, they come with their turtle doves and they they come and they they come in contact with this prophet Named Simeon, And Simeon, the prophet, begins to prophesy over Jesus. And, he, and in verse 25, Simeon says this. He says, or, or the word tells us here. He says, now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout. That's a pretty cool description that God has for this guy. He's righteous and devout and uh, waiting for the consolation of Israel. That consolation of Israel is a messianic title. He's waiting for the Messiah. He's waiting for the Messiah to come. And it says, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And so Simeon, this man, he was righteous and devout, he loved God, and the Holy Spirit was moving in him to confirm in his heart, and his soul, and in his spirit that something was going on. Something's coming together. He had this sense of anticipation that something big was about to go on. Something was happening, and he didn't know what it was. Paul told us what it was in Galatians. He said that what he was expecting is what Paul was telling us from hindsight, is that this was the fullness of time. And the fullness of time was coming together, and Simeon knew that something was was going on. Everything was starting to come together. He felt the fulfillment that was coming from the prophetic words that have been spoken throughout the ages. He's talking about the strategic moment in his heart that was going on in this time. How many of you ever felt like in your life there was a strategic moment? God was doing something. God was opening a door. God was creating a path. God was doing something that you couldn't do in your own, and he was creating for you something that was special, and you knew that the moment was coming together, and things were starting to culminate. And if you haven't, start asking the Holy Spirit. He'll start showing you those moments in your life. This is a moment when when everything was coming together. All of God's providence was coming together. His sovereign rule over history was coming together. The prophetic promises, the prophetic words that had been spoken from thousands of years earlier were all coming to fruition in this moment. Everything was starting to align itself. And something big, something significant was about to happen. And that began when the God-man entered the temple of God. When God came to his house, something big started to happen. When Jesus and the temple come together, and again, I'm not gonna go deep into this right now. I will in the next few weeks spend some time talking about this because this is very important. Because when Jesus, when Jesus comes to the temple, there's some things that happen. I, I just almost visualize it like this, that when Jesus came into the temple, he walks in, and, and in, in that place in the temple, there's the fulfillment of the old covenant as the new covenant walks in. And it's like out with the old and in with the new. It's out with the temple and in with the Savior. The old the old covenant the Old Testament covenant is gone the new covenant has come and a brand new age a brand new time in human history was being poured out in this moment the fulfillment of all of the prophecy that had been spoken over thousands of years and Simeon because of the revelation of the Holy Spirit in his life is consciously aware of something going on and he's waiting there's this eager anticipation and an expectation for what for the revelation of God for the revealing of the Messiah for the Savior that would come and in verse 26 it says and and it had been revealed to him by the holy spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the lord's christ the lord's christ the anointed one the messiah god in the flesh the the long expected one the redeemer the deliverer he he said that he would see him And in verse 27, and he came in the spirit. You know, he came in the spirit. You know, there's a lot of people who think that, hey, if you want to know about the Holy Spirit, you got to go to the book of Acts. Honestly, if you really want to know about the Holy Spirit, go to the author of the book of Acts and start in Luke. Luke talks more about the Holy Spirit than any other author. And he starts his explanation in the book of Uh, the Gospel of Luke. And he's emphatically talking about, repeatedly talking about the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit came to do. He talks about the Holy Spirit in Jesus' life. Luke is the one who tells us that Jesus was revealed by prophecy through the Holy Spirit. He says Jesus was filled and led by the Holy Spirit. That it was the Holy Spirit that descended on Jesus when He was baptized in the River Jordan. It was the Holy Spirit that led Jesus out into the wilderness where He would be tempted. It was the Holy Spirit that led Him into the times of ministry that Jesus went. It was the Holy Spirit that led Jesus and empowered Jesus to go to the cross to bear your sins in mind to go to the cross to die on Calvary. It was the Holy Spirit that woke him from, dead, from the dead and took him and raised him up to the place of life. The Holy Spirit was active and alive in all of these things. And Luke is very, very clear to remind us of the continual ongoing work of the Holy Spirit. Luke shows us in his gospel how the Holy Spirit worked in what would be natural ways. Those times that we want to make it all about just a happenstance, but these opportune times where God just brings together people and circumstances and things just begin to come together. He's talking about and describes those as a move of the Holy Spirit or the more obvious supernatural moments where miracles and prophecies begin to come forth, revelations start to be poured out, the, 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 the battle with demons that goes on, the victories that are won, these activities that are going on. Luke tells us about the Holy Spirit at work in all of these things. In church, Luke tells us all of this so that you and I could be aware Are you aware of the work of the Holy Spirit that's working through natural circumstances in your life? Are you seeing him and giving him credit for where it is that he's bringing things together and where things seem like just consequence or seem like happenstance to see God is at work in the midst of it all and we're willing to give thanks because we recognize it? Are you aware? Are you aware of the supernatural move of God the signs and wonders that want to follow those who believe, those who trust in him, the supernatural work of God, the demonic forces that are pushed back by the power of the Holy Spirit that leads you in prayer? Church, I firmly believe this, that the more aware we become of the Holy Spirit's work in the natural circumstances, the more we'll see the Holy Spirit work in the supernatural places of our life. We need to be aware. This is why Luke is telling us. And this man, Simeon, he's got this revelation from the Holy Spirit. He's aware. And now he, he, this baby, he comes in and, and he has this prophecy. In verse 28, and he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought, and again, so he's led in the spirit into the temple. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God. He blessed God and said, so again, Simeon, this man, this holy and righteous man who has been waiting and waiting for the fulfillment of God's word, for the the prophetic pouring out of the Messiah. And here he has this word from God. He's led into this place. And now Simeon, just imagine this. Simeon, this man whose life was all about the Messiah, now holds the Messiah in his hands. He's holding God. God in the flesh. He's holding the second member of the Trinity, God incarnate. He's holding him, the God-man. He was there, and, and what happened was that this couple brought Jesus to him. And it should be something that reminds you and I. Again, this may bother some in this culture especially, but men and women do not become gods. That's the lie of Genesis chapter three. Listen, in Genesis chapter three, the devil came to Adam and Eve and said, what, you can't taste of that fruit? God doesn't want you to because he knows you will become like gods. You will become like us. And the lie was that they could become like gods. And because of that, Mankind fell in the garden. Sin came into our world. And eventually we were cast out. So the enemy came in wanting to make us think that we could become like God, that we could ascend to him. God came into the garden and God said, no, 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 hey, listen. You're gonna pay the penalty for the consequences of sin. But I want you to know you won't become like God's. I want you to know that I am God and I'm gonna come to you and I'm gonna be born of a woman. I'm gonna be born of a virgin. And back in Genesis chapter three, God's already got this redemption plan. The enemy says, you can become like me. God says, no, I'm gonna come to you. And church, we don't ascend up to God. God humbled himself and became a man born of parents that couldn't even afford an appropriate sacrifice for his life. And that's true. We see that man tried to ascend to God at the Tower of Babel and God tore that apart and said no. He broke it up and said no. Listen, you're not going to ascend to me. I am going to descend to you. That church is what sets Christianity apart from every other religion that tries to make us think that we can become like God. We don't. And so Simeon, he's holding this baby and he has this chance to hold God incarnate, Emmanuel, God with us. He's holding this baby. He's holding the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Where is he holding him? In the temple, in the house of God. Again, these are all really big circumstances that are happening here. Not happenstances, but God is doing something. And it goes on, and he says in verse 29, and he says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. He said, like, like, you know what, there's nothing else, God. This is it. Man, this is the fulfillment of my life. What else do I need than this? I have been ministered to, I have been touched by, I have held on to the very Messiah himself. My life is complete. And I, I sure wish that we had that same sentiment. Yes, amen. For my eyes have seen, verse 30, for my eyes have seen, seen what? Your salvation. This child is my salvation. And, and he goes on, and he's prophesying, he says, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, In the presence of all peoples, you have prepared this a light for revelation to the Gentiles. Come on, all the Gentiles said, amen. Come on, if you're not Jewish, you're Gentile. He's a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Come on, does God love the Jews? Come on, does God love the Jews? Now, does God love the Gentiles? Yes. Praise God. Does God love all peoples? I mean, come on. Who did Jesus come to be the Savior of? All pe- he came to be the Savior of people from every language, every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every culture, every background, every subculture, every color, every person. And in Revelations, it says that each and every one of them are gathered around the throne of glory, around the throne of Jesus, worshiping him as God. Praise God. He's for all the people. And in verse 33, and his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. Man, could you just imagine? Wow. Holding on to these things that were said about him. And then it says, and Simeon blessed them. See, this is that place where we get to the baby dedication. Simeon blesses them. I can see Simeon holding this baby. Looking at his, Joseph and Mary going, I got to pray for you guys. you guys. You guys have to raise God. But Mary, you got a really hard job ahead of you. I need to pray for you. And Joseph, I got to pray for you because you know what? You're going to have to be a good dad to God. You're going to have to raise him up and you're going to have to lead him. You're going to have to do that. I mean, and he prays over them. And again, this is, you know, I, I know, and I feel like this is like one of those places where he pronounces this pastoral blessing over them. And I, I, as a pastor, I mean, this is one of the greatest privileges of, that I have. This is one of the things that I get the privilege of doing more than anything else is being able to pray over people, being able to pray for people, being able to pray with people because people want prayer. They want that. They, they, and be able to pray with people. I just see it as a place where God is able to use me to reflect his love into people's lives, to reflect his His affections towards people, to reflect His, his countenance upon people, to be just a simple reflection of the fact that God is considerate, that God considers them and he thinks about them, that he cares about them, that God loves them, to be a reflection of God's devotion to them, even when they may not have been so devoted to him. And I see Simeon, this old guy, this this servant, this much older than me guy. (laughs) And this is fulfilling all of his life's expectations. And the scriptures are being revealed. and, And I see him just placing his hand on Mary and praying for her. And then placing his hand on Joseph and praying for him because there's an enormous job that these two had that they were gonna have to fulfill. And, and it goes on in verse 34 and Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed. Come on, this is prophetic. He's prophesying. This child is appointed. This child has destiny. This child has a purpose. This child is going to do great things. This child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. Verse 35, and a sword will pierce through your own so from many hearts will be revealed. What he's saying is that this boy is gonna grow up and become a man and he is going to be the center of a lot of controversy. Extraordinary controversy, conflict, division, hostility, strife. But he's saying I want you all to know that he's going to be the fulcrum on, the, 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 on which all of humanity hinges its history. And this whole prophecy of Simeon, if you think about it, read through it, he, he prophesied all this and all came to pass, even down to the place where history is divided into B.C. and A.D., before Christ or Anno domino. I always thought it was after death. (laughs) But either way, this is this place where God is showing us that all of this is divided around this man, Jesus the Christ. And Jerusalem is still extremely divided over Jesus. His name is still very divisive. There's great hostility and there's great strife concerning Jesus the Christ. He is a point of unity for those who love him and he is a point of disunity for those who do not. And so this whole prophecy came to pass and we can see it now that all of this that was being spoken of was true. And so they're in the, they're in the temple and, and Simeon hands the baby back, he prays over them and this woman comes up, this prophetess, Anna. And it says in verse 36, and, and there was also a prophetess, Anna, this woman who was greatly respected, this woman who had some intensity. I, I can just see the integrity and the intensity of this daughter of Phenel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin. And then as a widow until she was 84, she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. I read that and I thought, man, do you ever wonder if grandma prayers count? Come on, why do you think God had to call a grandma to be in this position? Because they count. And he knew he could depend on her. And again, this is one of those questions man, if God had called me to that, could he count on me? To come into the temple worshiping and fasting and praying day and night, to not depart from the temple? Could God count on you like he was required? I needed to count on Anna. Because her prayers were powerful. Her prayers were effective. God needed her, this 84-year-old woman. She's been coming into the temple and worshiping and praying night and day, devoting herself in in, in intercession to the will of God, that God's kingdom would come, that she would see the coming of the Messiah. And in verse 38, it says, And coming up to that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. The Savior had come. The Messiah was here. Salvation has come to the house of God. Church, can you see that? This was the temple. And he orchestrated all of this so that you and I today could see this. Salvation has come to the house of God to Jews and Gentiles alike, salvation has come to the house of God. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth, another week-long journey home. A week's walk, 140 miles, for how long do you think that that just took them in the temple? To get done, look, they, they didn't even have the money for a, a righteous sacrifice for this baby. You think they had money for a hotel? So they turned around and went home. Now again, I'll talk more about this whole thing in the coming weeks about what really was going on and what, what God was at in, in, in the process of doing and uncovering through all this. It's fascinating. But this is all we really know about the early years of Jesus. We, we really don't know anything else. Many who call it the lost years of Jesus what we know of Jesus is found in Luke chapter two and verse 40, that's it. I mean, that's really all we know about the, the life of Jesus between the time when Jesus was born, he, when he was dedicated, we just read about all of that until the time of the beginning of his public ministry around 30 or so when Jesus began to go forth and to minister. There really isn't anything in between. Where, what happened to those years? What went on during that time? Anybody ever wonder what happened to Jesus as a boy? what was he doing where where did he live what was going on in what they call the lost years of jesus now again there are many and i will say this there are many cults and false teachers who will tell you what happened in those fill in the blank times in jesus life they will tell you that he went, to, he went to be with the Essenes, that he went off to be in the West, and they, there's some who say he went off to be in the East, where he would go together and, and joined with some mystics and spiritualists and came to these communities of magical arts and all sorts of superstitions and pagan ideologies that Jesus was learning during all of that time. Church, none of that's true. There is absolutely no historical substantiation to any of these things. It's all guesswork. They don't know what Jesus was doing during that time, and I do believe this. The Bible tells us that all Scripture is God-breathed and profitable. All Scripture is God-breathed and stop and profitable. Which means this, that the scripture tells us everything we need to know about the early years of Jesus. It's all we need to know. And the scripture declares this, and this is what it says about Jesus. It says in verse 40, and the child, talking about that child from this point, and that child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. This is what God wants you to know about Jesus. That Jesus, during that time of adolescence and into the manhood, that Jesus grew physically and the child grew and became strong. That's what what Luke tells us about him. So from boyhood to adolescence to manhood, the boy grew and became strong. Yet, let me tell you, he never sinned. Not one time did he rebel against his parents. Not one time did did he go off and do something that was not under authority. Jesus was always, always submitted fully and completely, even as he grew up. It says he grew spiritually, that he was filled with wisdom. Now again, We'll talk about this in a minute, but I mean, he was obviously, I don't know, reading the scriptures, knowing the scriptures. I mean, Jesus was spending time with the Father. He was spending time praying. He was spending time growing spiritually whatever. However God grows spiritually. He did. God grew spiritually. And it says then that he also during that time, he grew in favor. Grew in favor with the Lord. And we also know that during that time, he grew in favor of men. People respected him. He was from this little tiny town. Maybe 50 people in this town. And they called him Rabbi. Jesus, he, according to, again, we know what none of us know, but it doesn't say anything about him having any kind of formal education as a traditional rabbi, as a traditional teacher would have had. But in this town of 20 people or so, there would have been a little synagogue, a place where they would come together and they would pray and they would read the scriptures. These were just some simple folks, some simple people, rural people from the backwoods. In this little tiny town. And in these little tiny towns, nearly all of the women almost every one of the women would have almost guaranteed been illiterate because they didn't teach women to read in that day. And in a town that size, it would have been said that maybe a handful of the men in that town would have known how to read. And Jesus was one of them. How do you learn to read? Was Jesus just born with the ability to read because he was God? What happened? I I don't think that's true. And the reason I don't think that's true is because the Bible says that Jesus, he experienced every temptation that we would. I think Jesus also would have been able to um, put away that book and not read. He knew what it was like to have to learn, to submit to school, to submit to the he, he, I'm sure he went through all of that. I mean, that's just my thought, but um, again, somehow Jesus was well-educated. Somehow, the, think about it. Somehow these probably illiterate parents who loved him who cared for him, they did a great job. They fulfilled the prayer that Simeon prayed over them, and they did a great job raising Jesus. We don't know what they did, how they did it. We just know they did a great job, and they taught him. They loved him. They served him. They protected him, and somehow they got him an education. And then we see when Jesus, we get a small glimpse in Luke, in Luke chapter two later on. We'll talk more about this, but it, that's the only, it's not really, it doesn't tell us anything. It confirms what was already written about him. It, he was in the temple and the, his parents brought him for, for uh, the, the temple time and when they all left, they didn't know he wasn't there. When they came looking for him, they found him. Where? In the temple. Doing what? Confounding the wisdom of the Pharisees. They were astounded with his wisdom. So again, it fulfills what was said here about Jesus. And so he grew in stature and grew in in spirituality and he grew in favor to the degree that he was allowed to read the scriptures in the temple because they all knew there was something special about Jesus. Jesus. Worship team, would you come back up? You know what? I believe that this is what Luke is telling us in an overview. And we'll, we'll, again, we'll dive deeper into all of this as we go. What he's showing us in an overview is that, that all of them, all of them, from Mary and Joseph to, to, to then down to, to Simeon and to Anna, all of them, recognized that there was something different. They recognized there was something special about this baby, something special about this boy, something special about this man. Which again, takes me back to what I said a couple weeks ago. We don't get the privilege of taking the baby Jesus from the manger and causing him, thinking that we get to create what we want him to grow up and be in our life. We don't get to choose how Jesus grew up. We just need to know that it's he is God and he grew for you and for me, that he did what he did. And everybody, everyone from baby to boy to man, everyone that was touched by the presence of God was changed and transformed. They all knew at every stage of his life that there was something special about the Christ, Jesus, the Messiah. And why did they think that? Because he changed the life of everyone in whom he came into relationship with so church have you connected personally with Jesus I mean not religiously personally If you had a a personal encounter with the Savior? An encounter that, that it becomes personal and it becomes something that begins to change and transform our lives? You can tell the difference between a religious education about Christ and a personal encounter with Christ. You can tell the difference by the way in which he begins to transform our lives from the inside out. You can't come into a relationship with Jesus without him beginning to transform your life, without him beginning to turn your world upside down, without him beginning to tell you and to show you and cause you to want to stop doing the things that you were doing so you can start doing the things you need to start doing. In your life, when you begin to now, you know what, no longer is bad good and good is bad, but bad is now good and good is now bad. God begins to turn things around and begins to transform our lives. He'd be, listen, you cannot have an encounter with Jesus and not have a transforming interact- interaction with him. He changes your heart. He's God. He's the Messiah. From the time of his birth to the time of his death, he's the Messiah. And he's the God who desires to impact our lives and begin to transform our hearts. He's the same yesterday and today and forever. And that baby is the same baby that was in the womb of Mary. He's the same God who was born in that manger. He's the same God that was brought to the temple. He's the same God who lived and grew. He's the same God that was baptized in the Jordan River. He's the same God that went out and was tempted in the wilderness. He's the same God who went to the cross to pay the penalty for your sins and for my sins. He's the same God who gave gave up his life and died and was given unto the grave. And he is the same God who arose from that grave and came forth unto life and arose to the right hand of the Father where he is now interceding for each and every one of us. He loves you. He cares for you. And he's the same God from the very beginning to the very end who's the same God that's interceding for you right now. Will you receive him into your life in such a way that he's given the opportunity to touch your life because what Jesus touches he he, he share this in the scriptures when Jesus came upon a grave when Jesus came upon a funeral he touched the coffin and the dead came back to life he makes dead things living Has he brought new life to you Has he transformed your heart? Now again, I say this lovingly, not condemningly. I, I, I love you. But if not, if he has not touched your life in that way, church, you're probably not born again. And therefore today is the day. This is the hour. Today is the day of salvation and no man is promised tomorrow. This is that time. This is that opportunity for you to call upon the name of the Lord, the God in whom we have been discussing, the God in whom we've been sharing, even as a baby has the opportunity of changing your heart if you'll receive him for who he is. Not by works that any man could boast, but by the grace of a loving God who came to us. He came to this world. He came to you and to me. We can't be religious and rise up to him. No, sometimes I, I think we just need to hit our knees and humble ourselves so we can get to the place where he is waiting for you. Will you give him your heart today? Will you bow your heads with me? Lord, in the name of Jesus, I pray for each and every one that's here today, Lord, that you would minister to our hearts. Minister, Father, salvation. Let the Messiah come. Let the living God move in our heart. Lord, for each and every one that's opened themselves up to you, I pray, Lord God, for the experiential touch, the power of the living God to move and minister like you did as a baby, Lord, in the life of Simeon, in the life of Anna, like you did, Lord, in the life of Mary and Joseph, like you did in the life of many, Lord, throughout. Your walk on this earth, and even now, Lord, the billions that have been touched by the power of the living God. Lord, I thank you that you desire to fill the temple. And you said, Lord, that we are the temple. Church, will you invite the Messiah into his house, into the temple? Come on, God wants to fill the house. Call on him this morning call on him today call on him this hour come into my heart Lord forgive me I'm a sinner Lord and I am filled with sin I'm filled with condemnation I'm filled Lord God with guilt and the things that I have done Lord I don't want to ever tell anybody Lord you already know them, and Lord I'm just gonna receive by faith what pastors talking about and I need you to come into my life God I am a sinner and I need grace. I am a sinner and I need a Savior. And Jesus, I believe that you are that Savior. Come into my heart. Come into my life and let me be changed and transformed, Lord, from the inside out. Jesus, I need you. Maybe today you need to come back to him. Simply turn around. Come home. Come home. Thank you, Lord. And if that's you today, I want you, the moment we get done here, to get out your phone and sign up for the foundations class. To get yourself into a Bible study. To to begin, listen, because if you don't, if you don't tell somebody, you don't talk to somebody about the decision that you're making right now, the enemy will come along and he will begin to take the seed that's fallen on the path, the seed, and, and he'll begin to take it, pervert it, bring doubt. And take away what God is doing in your life. You need to have it sealed. You need to begin to let the sun shine on it, to begin to cultivate what it is in your heart and in your mind that God is doing in your soul. Just do it. You know it's the right thing. Just do it. Because God wants to take what the enemy meant for evil and turn it around for good in your life. God wants to take the destructive fires of this world that have created ashes in your life wants to turn that around and bring something beautiful up out of it all. Give me beauty for ashes, beauty for ashes. Give me beauty for ashes, beauty for ashes. Come on, ask him. Give me beauty for ashes, beauty for ashes. Beautiful ashes, beautiful ashes. Oh, I thank you, God. Wow, listen. Sing it out. I'm by your You make everything. New. Oh, God desires to make everything new in you. Amen? Listen, tonight, gentlemen, please come out, be a part of our, uh, our fellowship, our, our life groups. And I don't know if some of the women are getting together with some of their groups, but tonight, all the men are asked, come on out and be a part of our time together. Church is not over, church is about to begin. So go be the church. Amen? God bless you all. We love you. Come on, let's sing this as we go. Okay. Give me beauty for ashes, beauty for ashes. Give me beauty for ashes.